If you all can make your way back to your seats, we're going to get started. And uh, please open up your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel 7 is the scripture that we're going to read this morning. And uh, this chapter in scripture, brothers and sisters, is a, a key passage of scripture in the Bible. Because it delineates the Davidic covenant, and that's the title of the message this morning, the Davidic covenant. So 2 Samuel chapter 7 is going to be our passage of Scripture this morning. Please read along in your Bibles um, or on your phones, 2 Samuel chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. Please read God's Word together with me. Now, when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, Would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, The Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father. And he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established Forever, in accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. 
Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And yet, this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord God. You have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come, and this is instruction for mankind, O Lord God. And what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God, because of your promise and according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. Therefore, you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you and there is no God besides you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And who is like your people Israel? The one nation on earth whom God went to redeem to be His people, making Himself a name and doing for them great and awesome things by driving out before your people whom you've redeemed for yourself from Egypt, a nation and its gods. And you established for yourself your people Israel to be your people forever. And you, O Lord, became their God. And now, O Lord God, confirm forever the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, and do as you have spoken. And your name will be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is God over Israel, and the house of your servant David will be established before you. For you, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, have made this revelation to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore, your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. And now, O Lord God, You are God, and Your words are true, and You have promised this good thing to Your servant. Now therefore, may it please You to bless the house of Your servant, so that it may continue forever before You. For You, O Lord God, have spoken, and with Your blessing shall the house of Your servant be blessed forever. Again, the title of the message is The Davidic Covenant. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord God, as we see 2 Samuel chapter 7 and the truth of the promises you made to King David that stretch all the way forth into eternity, move our hearts. Help us to see Jesus in this passage and to be moved by His eternal reign. Lord, we thank You so much for the opportunity to gather here today. I pray that You would grant saving faith and genuine repentance to those who do not know You in this room. And I pray that You would strengthen the faith and turn the hearts of those who do know You even into greater wholehearted devotion for the praise of Your glorious grace. In Jesus' name, Amen. Oh, it's so good to see you all. Shannon and I were out at lunch last Sunday after church on a date when we heard the news about the death of Kobe Bryant. Our waitress asked us, do you guys like basketball? And we said, yes. And she said, Kobe Bryant died. Shannon and I almost couldn't believe it. I I had just watched LeBron James pass Kobe on the all-time NBA scoring list the night before. 
And here this waitress is telling me that Kobe is dead at 41. It affected us. And then we heard of his daughter Gianna and the seven others perishing in the helicopter crash together with him. It is such a sad story. Last Sunday at this time, Kobe and his daughter were at Mass. And I can't help but hope that true faith in Christ and repentance of sin was in his heart and in his daughter's heart and in the hearts of all nine of those poor souls who died on the way to the basketball game afterward. And whether it be by helicopter or by car, our lives are fragile when we think of it. Kobe's death last week reminded every one of us of the uncertainty of life and the brevity of life, the preciousness of life, and also, brothers and sisters and friends, the urgency of all of us to respond to the good news of Jesus Christ now. Now. Because we do not know when our lives will come to an end. My mother-in-law, Debbie's first thought was wondering if Kobe was saved. And that is a godly thought from any godly Christian. And there is only one way to be saved. And for the fear of death to be taken from you this morning. And that is by trusting in Jesus' blood sacrifice for you on the cross and by turning from your sins and repentance. Let all of our prayer be, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And let us take that tragic news of Kobe's death to heart and spur all of us on to make sure that we're right with God as we're here this morning. We're going to look at three points this morning from this Scripture. And the first is God's covenant with David. And I couldn't resist, but there's a second part to that point. God's covenant with David. David's offspring, speaking of Christ, will be king forever. Secondly, the royals. And thirdly, grateful response. Let's look at first point. God's covenant with David. David's offspring, speaking of Christ will be king forever. Once the Ark of the Covenant was inside the city walls of Jerusalem, David couldn't help but notice that he lived, he lived in a house of cedar, and the Ark of God dwelled in a tent. Remember, the Ark of the Covenant represented the gracious presence of God amongst the people of God, and David noticed that he was living in a house of cedar and the house of God was in a tent and he longed to build a house, a temple, for the ark of the Lord to dwell in. And this was noble on David's part. How wonderful it is, brothers and sisters, when a 
a rich man or woman of power cares about the house of God and the people of God. In the previous section that we looked at, we see that David offered up the offerings to the Lord and then he blessed the people of God by providing food for them as a parting gift as they went away from Jerusalem in celebration. And then David came home and he blessed his family. He saw in his own house of cedar, resting there, that he was in a house of cedar and he wanted to build a house of the Lord in the city of David. He wanted to see the things of God taken care of well. And took initiative to make sure that God was not neglected. What a wonderful thing that God said of David when He called him His servant in 2 Samuel 7, verse 5. God sent Nathan the prophet to him. It's also so beautiful to see Nathan the prophet encouraging David to do what is heart, what is on his heart for God? What an encouraging friend to have who will encourage you to do what God has laid on your heart. And you see that in 7, 1 through 3. Let Nathan's encouragement, encouraging his friend and king David to do what is on his heart about God be an example and a model to all of us in our Christian friendship with one another, to urge one another on, to encourage one another on into the things of God. And then the Lord came to Nathan and sent him with a prophetic message that reaches all the way out to eternity future. Instead of hearing about the details of how the house should be built, God tells David that he doesn't need a house. And that he was content to dwell in a tent in the wilderness with his people. This shows the humility and the character of God. That he's a humble God. And he's content to dwell in a tent while his king that he just put into place is in a house of cedar. That humility of God is also seen when Jesus Christ humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. But the God of the universe does not need a house. He's glorified by the desire David has to build one, and and ultimately a glorious temple is going to be built by Solomon, David's son, which is prophesied in this text. But God does not dwell in a house made by human hands. As if He needed anything, the Scriptures say. I love that phrase. As if God needs anything. He doesn't need anything. He does not need us. He created us to bring Him glory and to worship Him. But God's not dependent upon man. Please build me a house. God is powerful and content and humble. In a gracious and glorious step, God puts the idea of David building him a house on hold. And instead promises King David that he's going to build him a house. So here it begins with David wanting to build a house for God. And God says, I'm going to put that on hold. I'm going to build you a house. And this promise that God makes to King David is also known as the Davidic covenant. God tells David that he will build him a house 
and that His kingdom will never end. If you look at verse 16 in the Word, it says, And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before Me. And then look at that last phrase in 16. Your throne shall be established forever. Your throne shall be established forever. What happy news in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Matthew Henry writes about this. The establishing of his house, his throne, and his kingdom forever can be applied to no other than to Christ and his kingdom. Got to understand, covenants in the ancient Near East were between two parties. And both parties made promises, typically, about how they were going to act toward one another in the future. Usually they were between a suzerain or a sovereign ruler and a vassal or a subject or one who's been conquered by the sovereign. The sovereign would make promises to the vassal conditioned upon whether or not the vassal will give his loyal obedience to the sovereign. That's the way they were usually made. But as in the covenant with Abraham in Genesis 15, God's covenant here with David is one-sided. It's a one-sided covenant. The one in power, the one who's sovereign, the ruler over all, makes a gracious promise without needing anything in return. This is an image once again of God's grace and His divine favor And here it's manifested toward King David. God makes all the promises as a sovereign and the subjects here being David, but it's also pointing to us as well. We get all the blessing. He makes all the promises. We get all the blessing. God is amazing in His grace and His benevolence, His goodness. David's son Solomon will be the one who will build the temple in the future in the next generation. God will cause the house of David from the tribe of Judah to have a king on the throne forever. Now, when the Babylonian exile took place later on in Israel's history in 586 B.C., this is about 1,000 B.C. to put it in perspective, The king from the house of David was Jeconiah. And he would be the last king until Jesus Christ, the son of David, was born. And you can read about it in Matthew 1 as you follow the genealogy of all the Davidic kings leading all the way up to Joseph and the birth of Jesus. Fourteen generations are listed before the coming of the king of kings and the last king who reigned, Jeconiah. They thought that the line of kings had been broken, but in reality, it hadn't been broken at all. It was carrying forth past Jeconiah all the way down to Joseph, and then secretly in Bethlehem, born in a manger, is born the king of kings, the king of the universe. Jesus Christ. And when Jesus died and rose again and ascended, He took His throne. 
brothers and sisters, where He is seated right now at the right hand of the Father and He reigns. And when Jesus comes back again soon, His throne on earth will be in the new Jerusalem that will come down out of heaven from God. And from it, King Jesus will reign over the new heavens and new earth forever and ever and ever. And so, the Word of God given to Nathan the prophet to speak about David having an eternal throne, I'm happy to tell you this this morning, is true. It's true. Every knee will bow before King Jesus. And every tongue, oh, I love it, will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Brothers and sisters, take heart that we will enjoy Jesus' reign in sinless perfection with glorified, fall-free bodies. Free from the fall. Free from all these aches and pains. Free from all of these troubles and these burdens that you're carrying. Every tear wiped away from your eye. Enjoying Jesus, seeing Him face to face. Enjoying His reign forever and ever. That's what this Davidic covenant's all about. A thousand B.C. and a promise is made by God to King David that His kingdom is going to last forever. How awesome. How awesome. And that a thousand years later, the Lord would send His own Son to come and be the fulfillment of this promise. I love that in 2 Samuel 7, we get a sighting of Jesus Christ. Let's move to point two, the royals. The royals. Great promises are made here to David and also to Solomon, yet unborn. And also to the entire royal line of David. But these promises to these royals reach and touch even our own lives as believers in Christ today. And that's what I want to focus in on a little bit now. That day is coming. But let us take heart that God, as the Scriptures say in 2 Samuel 7, says, God will never cast us off. And we are one with Christ by faith. Matthew Henry writes of this, Blessings are promised to the family and posterity of David. These promises relate to Solomon, David's immediate successor, and the royal line of Judah. But they also relate to Christ, who is often called the Son of David. To Him, God gave all the power in heaven and earth. With authority to execute judgment, He was to build the Gospel temple, a house for God's name. The spiritual temple of true believers. To be a habitation of God through the Spirit. 
the establishing of His house, His throne, and His kingdom forever can be applied to no other than Christ and His kingdom. David's house and kingdom long since came to an end. And the committing of iniquity that's mentioned here in 2 Samuel 7 cannot be applied to the Messiah Himself, but to His spiritual seed, true believers. Those are the infirmities. The ones carrying the infirmities for which they must be corrected, though they are not cast off. So those who are the Lord's spiritual seed are touched in on in this passage. They will have iniquities, and yet even in the midst of their iniquities, the promise is from God that the Lord will not cast His people off even though they have iniquities. He will not, brothers and sisters, listen to what He says, He will not remove His steadfast love from Solomon and Solomon's line and Christ ultimately. And since we are one in Christ Jesus, united to Christ as the church by faith, these promises apply directly to us as well. God will not cast us off. God will never remove His steadfast love from you, my brother, my sister. Take heart. Because though we are struck down in this Christian life, we are never destroyed. Amen? We are the sons and daughters of the living God. He is our Father. And the King of kings who reigns forever is our brother. He will never let you fall. But He's going to sustain you and I all the way to the end where we're going to enjoy seeing Him face to face and enjoy His rule and reign forever. I can't wait to be there enjoying that together with you. And it's coming faster than you think. Seeing Christ in all of Scripture is our series. In Genesis 3, we learn that through the offspring of the woman, the head of the serpent, speaking of Satan, will be crushed. And then in Genesis 12, we see that through Abram's offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And here in 2 Samuel chapter 7, we see that word again, offspring. And I I remember mentioning this to you before, but brothers and sisters, whenever you see the word offspring spoken of here in relation to these kinds of promises, think all the way back to Genesis 3 and that original gospel promise because it's through the seed of the woman or the offspring of the woman that the serpent's head will be crushed. And here we see that the offspring continues all the way down, not just through Eve and Adam, but all the way through here to Abraham. And now, here in the Davidic covenant, through David. There is nothing more far-reaching than forever. 
And the word forever is used repeatedly by God to talk about how long David's reign is going to be through him and his offspring. There is no kingdom that lasts forever. But this one. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus says in the New Testament. The Roman Empire lasted well over a thousand years. But even that came to an end. The kingdom we are a part of. Under the reign of King Jesus. is going to last brothers and sisters forever and ever. Christ was crucified. I was thinking about this as I was meditating on this. Christ was crucified under Pontius Pilate of the Roman Empire. Rome was built by spilling the blood of others. But the kingdom of Christ is built by the king spilling his own blood and saving the souls of his people who by grace repent of their sins and believe in him. And we who believe in Christ are united together as one. We become one with Jesus Christ the King. So, I gave the second point title as the royals. And certainly that applies to David and to Solomon and to Rehoboam and all the way down the line, all the way to Christ. But brothers and sisters, because of our union with Jesus Christ by faith, I got happy news for you. We have become royals. Prince Harry and Meghan recently took action to sever their royal ties so that they could be independent and make money on their own and be free from royal stipulations and certain obligations that the British royals need to abide by. Many of you have heard of that story. In severing their royal ties, we also learned that there are great privileges of wealth that had previously been granted to them, which now cease. I was thinking about that, and I don't know why, it just makes me sad to think of them breaking away from the royal line as I just ponder that, but, but I was thinking that our direction is the opposite. We have gone from independent, on our own, going our own way, with no king, to becoming children of God the Father. And brothers and sisters to Jesus Christ, the King of Kings. The Holy Spirit has united us together with Christ and has made us one with Christ. We are a part of the kingdom of God. But brothers and sisters, listen to this. Not as mere subjects but as sons and daughters adopted into God's very own family and as brothers and sisters to the eternal King. We are royals. Made royals by grace with all the privileges and eternal riches that come with that. Do you know we're called in the Scriptures co-heirs? with Christ, and will share in all the wealth that He has secured by His sacrificial death and resurrection from the dead. We are royals 
since God chose us in Christ from before the foundation of the world, and He's united us together with Christ by faith, and we are one with Him. This passage, which is pointing to Christ's reign, His eternal reign, touches each and every one of you who are believers. You will reign with Him. I want you to write this verse down. 2 Timothy 2, 11 and 12. 2 Timothy 2, 11 and 12. This is a trustworthy saying. If we died with Him, we will also live with Him. Did you ever catch verse 12 though? Verse 12 says this. If we endure, we will also reign with Him. Reign with Him. Brothers and sisters, the marvel of God's grace that He would unite us together with Christ by faith. And that the Lord would give us the privileges not only of being sons and daughters and brothers and sisters of Christ, but also co-heirs. To also reign with Christ. We are royals. And that's nothing to be arrogant about. Because it's only by the grace of God that we have become so. Let David's prayer in verse 18 mark every single one of us this morning when he says this. Who am I? Who am I? Oh Lord God. And what is my house that you have brought me thus far? Why am I even sitting here, God? In light of my sins and my rebellion against you, why is it that I'm sitting here and my friends at school are not? Why am I sitting here enjoying and loving you when my friends are far off? It's because God has opened your eyes, my friend, by His grace to see and believe in Christ and to repent of your sins. It's not because you're better or more worthy We are unworthy sinners, only worthy of the wrath of God, and yet God in His mercy poured out His wrath on His Son Jesus instead of on you and I. And instead, He has adopted us into His family. He has justified us and declared us righteous. He has satisfied the wrath that we deserve through Christ's propitiation on the cross. And now we are His very own family and co-heirs with Christ, who will reign with Him. And of course, we will all be under Him. But all the privileges and riches of being royals, if you've ever thought, oh man, how wonderful it would be to be a, a part of the royal house of the British line. That's nothing Nothing compared to what you have in Christ. In your possession right now, and when it comes to complete and total fulfillment, when you go to be with the Lord, you're going to see riches that you could never imagine. And you're going to be so blown away when you see your King face to face. These light and momentary troubles. 
they are light and momentary. You are heading toward an eternal weight of glory that far outweighs everything that you are carrying and burdened by right now. Don't lose sight of that, my friends. Don't lose sight of who you are in Christ. That's what defines you. It's not your past sins that define you. If you are a believer in Christ, you are in Christ. And He is who defines you. His atoning blood, His sacrifice, His resurrection from the dead and the victory of that, that is what defines you. I pray that that uplifts your head this morning and your weary soul puts some fresh wind in your sails as it does mine. Don't you love the glorious Gospel of grace? And the third point I'm going to make is grateful response. I want to highlight again verse 18. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me thus far? David's heart for God and his heart for God's people is so evident in this section of Scripture here, the second half of 2 Samuel 7. We see in Psalm 16 that David says that the saints who are in the land are, he calls them the glorious ones, in whom is all my delight. I remember in one of my, uh, one of my phones under our, our church contacts, instead of just saying uh, Christ Community Church and having all your contacts listed underneath of it, I thought, I want to take that phrase from Psalm 16 and put it down and just put the glorious ones and then have all your names underneath that. And so every time I can get a reminder, because it's biblical as King David calls the saints, they are the glorious ones in whom is all my delight, David says. You see his love for Israel pouring out here, but even more importantly, his love for God. The closeness of David's relationship to God is seen in this prayer. You you see that how a man after God's own heart prays. He gives God all the glory for the eternal reach of this promise. He's blown away that God would speak to him of his house enduring forever. And David, it says in the Old Testament that the saints in the Old Testament saw Christ far off and saw Him from afar. And they were glad it seems here that some of that exaltation that David must have perhaps even realized that the promise of Genesis 3 and the, pro- the promise to Abraham of that his offspring would lead to all the nations of the earth being blessed. He may have had a sense himself, having believed in the Scriptures himself, that the Lord was taking the Messianic line of the promised One to come, Jesus Christ, through him personally. It doesn't seem here that his praise is limited to, oh, my son Solomon's going to reign as well. As most earthly kings would be excited about. They want to see their own seed endure through posterity for their own glory. David is consumed with God's glory and he's blown away and humbled that God would bring the messianic line through him. But you see his heart just shining forth with praise to the glory of God. Brothers and sisters, let our response to our salvation be like 
David's response to this covenant. Let there be a spirit that marks us in this church when we think of why we're here saved. Who am I? When we see all that's going on in the culture and we see all of the sin that is so rampant out there, let us not look with a self-righteous eye and act as if if it wasn't for God's grace, we wouldn't be there ourselves. Let us look and be marveling at the fact that we've been ransomed and rescued. Let's say, who am I? And who is my house? That you would be so kind to send your Son, King Jesus, to die for me. True Christians should be marked by an ever-growing humility and gratefulness. Brothers and sisters, I want to ask all of us, does, does gratitude mark us? Is it a defining characteristic of our lives? When people think of you, do they think of a grateful person? Grateful because you realize that you're worthy of hell and eternal damnation, and yet, because of what Christ has done, you're going to enjoy the new heavens and new earth with Jesus, your King, saved forever and ever. Let there be humility and let there be gratitude. I love how David can't help himself. He just he, he, he says in verse 22, You are great, O Lord God, for there is none like You and there is no God besides You. I love his heart of praise. Let there be humility. Let there be gratitude. Brothers and sisters, let there be praise that flows up off of our lips for this awesome God who formed the Davidic covenant that stretches all the way out into eternity future and and even brings us underneath of its gracious umbrella. And I love, finally, the phrase where he says, Your name be magnified forever. In verse 26, look, look there with me. And your name will be magnified forever, saying, the Lord of hosts is God over Israel. Brothers and sisters, in closing, let there be humility. Let there be gratitude that marks us. Let there be praise. Exultant praise. And let there be a spirit of your name be magnified forever. Not to us. Not to us. But to your name be the glory for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Let there be worship in spirit and in truth. If I could have the worship and return, we're going to sing. How great is your faithfulness. Because the reason we are here this morning it's because of the faithfulness of God. He not only made these promises in 1000 BC, 
through Nathan the prophet to King David. We are here in 2020 saying, God has fulfilled this. He's been faithful to fulfill the promise of the Davidic covenant. And He will carry it forth, not just here in 2020, but He's going to carry it forth, brothers and sisters, forever and ever and ever, where we will enjoy Christ together. Let's stand. Oh Lord, we give You praise for the Davidic covenant and the promises You made to Your servant David that endure and how faithful You are. Even right now, Jesus, as You are seated on the throne, ruling and reigning. We marvel, Lord Jesus, not only at the Davidic covenant, but that You would come and bring forth a new covenant in Your blood. Oh, King of kings, all-powerful in great glory, that You would have suffered Your body to be crushed and for Your blood to be shed in order to bring us sinners to God. We marvel at Your humility. We praise You for how awesome and how great You are. We love You. We love You, Lord. And we thank You for Your faithfulness to us. We give You all the glory. For all this is from You and through You and to You. And it's in Your name we pray. Amen. Can we thank King Jesus for how awesome He is? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. What a joy it is to worship King Jesus together with you, Christ community. Have a wonderful, wonderful day. God bless you.